is their flag, Merck said. Azar read an ONI note. Satellites tracked two fleets of fishing boats leaving port at 1400 and 1600 Zulu. The last fleet passed through more than three hours ago. At sea? Merck looked down the strait, scratching the grease paint on his cheek. Miffed, he turned to the trawler, trying to figure out how it became a straggler. Was it delayed because of a crew issue? Did it have engine trouble? Whatever the reason, Merck and Azar crouched behind the gunwale, holding fast as the ship's waves rolled toward them, watching the fishermen start to unfold piles of nets across the deck. Merck dialed into a mental checklist, ticking off items he had prepared for the mission. He had painted or taped all of the accessories in the rib black. Or did he? He ran through the list. Plastic clad laptop, beacons, flashlights, scuba gear, flare gun, and first aid kit. Check. He had smeared his face with black grease paint. Check. He wiggled his digits in the fingerless gloves and pressed them against the inflated bow. In darkness, he and Azar should be invisible. The first wave surged the rubber boat. The second wave bobbed it up and down. A third swell rocked the rib sideways. Merck eyed Azar, who pointed with his eyes back to the trawler. Merck looked over. The fishing ship slowed down hard, plowing bow waves as it lurched into a drift. Did the crew spot them? Did they sense something? Why are they slowing down right over my fins? Merck clenched his hands into fists. Did they pick up a stray acoustical signal? Morgan Azar asked. How could they? The laptop is closed. He tapped the device. What about a fish finder? Azar queried, watching the trawler. Something's not right. Merck flashed two and then five fingers signaling Lieutenant Azar that the Pacific bottlenose dolphins would stay underwater longer without coming up for air. The hand sign meant another five to seven minutes or twice the normal dive time for the sea mammals to surface and breathe. Eyeing the trawler, Merck recalled that kind of long, tense wait from before, exposed in enemy territory with no exit. Only the last time, it was off the coast of China a decade ago. That neuroassociation prickled his fingertips. He felt his heartbeat pulse in his wetsuit. Scanning the bottom of the seafloor a half-click south, the Navy dolphins swam down to a depth of 30 meters. They were contouring the layout of the gas pipeline that would one day deliver crude oil from Iran's South Pars Phase 12 offshore platform to Oman's refineries. As the trawler drifted away, Merck opened the laptop and swiped the glide pad. The laptop cam biometrically scanned the whites of his eyes to access the software. He looked up at the ship, drifting, slowing. His fingers hovered above the color-coded keyboard. The yellow key sent a signal packet in the cetacean's language up to a military satellite that beamed the data back down to a D-pod a dolphin communication pod bobbing on the surface. The black hockey puck-shaped D-pod converted the data stream into digital whistles. Radio waves don't travel well in salt water. 
Like a submarine that deploys an antenna or buoy on the surface to enhance communication, Merck deployed the deep pod to better stream video captured underwater by the dolphin's dorsal cams. Merck watched the screen and hit a second blue key, commanding the dolphins to conduct a swim-by of the trawler and to breathe. Lieutenant Azar zoomed night-vision binoculars on the trawler's waterline and saw it was fully laden. He signaled to Merck that the fishermen weren't heading to the Gulf of Amman to fish, not loaded with cargo, not at one knot. Something was up in the vessel, he agreed. But what? Another sign that the ship wasn't bound for the fishing shoals could be seen by the naked eye. A pair of telescopic boom cranes, rabbit ears as R called them, were folded upright with not a single net attached to either hook. The signal mast swayed back and forth.